What's up, bitches? This is Morgan. And what's up, bitches? This is Sierra. And this is Bitches Bitches in Murders. Okay, today, today, we are talking about Charles Ray Hatcher. That sounds made up as shit. Yep, he uh he's someone I had actually never heard of before. Um kind of just stumbled along his name. Just kind of happened to look it up on like a whim. And I like the whole time I'm reading this shit, I'm just like what what the fuck is happening? Like at every turn I'm just like how? How is there more? Um so it's probably not the most atrocious case I've ever done, but it is it is a lot. It is a lot of weirdness. Is he so. any relation to the half-slinging slasher? <laughs> it's his brother, actually. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> different dad, though. <laughs> Same mom, different dads. <laughs> so we are starting out. I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get into it. Okay. Okay. Early life. <coughs> Dies immediately. <laughs> so he was born July 16th, 1929 okay. in Mound City, Missouri. Where? Mound City. This feels like truth so. or consequences all over again. It really does. <laughs> um, so this is like a really small town. Like it's a real, real small place. Okay. So I can't imagine anywhere named Mound is a is a bustling city. <laughs> so he is the youngest child of um Lula Nevada Hatcher. Um her maiden name was Bomar. These are not real um, names. Guess what his dad's name is. Guess. If you hit me with Just something guess. stupid, I swear to God. <laughs> It's going to be stupid. I'm telling you right now. Is it Billy Bob? Because I swear to God. No, his name is literally Jesse James. Stop it. Literally Jesse James. Like the famous famous outlaw. I'm already over it. Yeah. So we're starting out strong. (laughs) Um, So they had four children together. Um, I think I couldn't find like the list of his siblings but from what i was reading it seems i think he had either all brothers or two brothers and a sister so he was but i know the oldest sibling was a boy and then he's the youngest and that's a boy and i know there's at least one other boy in there so so he was bullied from the get-go got it (laughs) oh absolutely um so his father was a bootlegger um who was also an ex-convict this is and not a, this is not a case this is a script for a bad western movie he was also an abusive alcoholic Oop, there it is uh so charles was frequently bullied uh and it got worse when he went to school um instead of letting this like make him I don't, I don't know what words I want to use, like, weaker. Um, he ended up just becoming, like, a huge bully himself. What does like, as soon as he got bigger. 
literally like as soon as he got bigger he turned into a huge asshole yeah that is historically how bullies go (laughs) so we're starting off with the weird right away well the the jesse james thing was already weird i thought that was strange um but okay so spring of 1935 so he is six years old right now he's six ow okay he's out with his older brothers, mm-hmm. and they're out flying a kite. Oh, that's nice. Um, and this is a kite that they... Hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I didn't like that. It's not so nice. <laughs> uh, so this is a kite that the boys had made themselves, and they made it with copper wire... That they found in an old abandoned Model T Ford. Oh no, not the Model T. More like, uh, do we remember Ben Franklin and discovering electricity with the kite? Uh, attaching metal, attaching metal to a kite, especially when you were using copper wire as the entire string, so you were literally making a conduit of metal. For a kite. Was it storming that day? There was a thunderstorm that day, wasn't there? No. 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 This doesn't end so, somebody getting electrocuted? I didn't say that. Oh, just said no. it wasn't storming. Oh, no. <laughs> so oh, his no. older brother, Arthur, Arthur Allen, was Did you just actually... Wait, wait a minute. Arthur Allen. Yes, that is his name. <laughs> what is wrong with this family? So, Arthur, I don't know exactly how old he is, uh, but he is the oldest sibling and Charles is the youngest. So, he had to be, like, at least a decent amount older than him. Yeah. So, he is handing the kite to Charles, who is six, when the kite hits a power line. (gasps) Oh, no. And electrocutes him to death instantly. Like, pretty much instantly. I'm sure he suffered a little bit before he passed, but, like, he was declared dead in the field, like, right there. right in front of his six-year-old brother who basically like this almost happened to charles instead um like charles was literally reaching for it to hand off when this happened we're talking about charles so maybe that wouldn't have been a bad thing um however i know that's literally what i'm saying i'm like damage right like i i can't even imagine this this six-year-old sees his own brother die right in front of him in a situation that absolutely should have been him, like, I can't even imagine the amount of trauma that that brought. I feel like um, that either gives you, like, an appreciation for life or an undeserved gom- god complex, and there is no in-between. Yeah, uh, seeing what happens later, uh, I'm going to go with the second one. Um I'm not going to lie to you with everything that happens here. uh, We're going to flash back to this moment and really, really wish that they would have handed off that kite a little bit faster. Damn. I'm not going to lie to you. (laughs) And that feels shitty to say, but like every, there is a lot of people whose lives would have been better if Arthur would have handled, handed that over just a little bit faster. Great. We're off to a great start. (laughs) So, um, after this happens, um, his parents didn't handle it very well, um, and his dad left his mother, like, really soon afterwards, and they, like, get divorced. 
So his mother ends up getting married again, like several times. Um, and then we're kind of going to skip ahead. In in 1945, Hatcher ends up moving in with his mother and her third husband. Jesus. And they move to St. Joseph. That's too... Why? Uh, which is important later. Why are there so many husbands? Yeah, I mean, that's 10 years. Uh, and she went through three, three husbands. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> but anyways... <clears throat> Okay, so I have this kind of grouped um, because this is a this is 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 all over the place. There's a lot of shit that happens. No, so no. I have this kind of grouped by years, and we're we're kind of we're we're gonna go in like a timeline. This is this is not one that we can jump around with. It would never make sense. <laughs> so just okay. so you know, we're we're just going down a straight timeline pretty much this whole time. Okay. Okay. Nineteen forty-seven. Two years after moving to St. Joseph, Charles gets arrested for stealing a logging truck from the Iowa-Missouri Walnut Company. So this is actually where he was working. Um, he had just gotten a job there like two weeks beforehand, um, and he gets caught stealing this truck. Cool. So he gets in trouble. Obviously, we will learn very quickly that this man is really bad at being a criminal, but really dedicated to being a criminal. <laughs> like, I don't think this man has ever committed a crime that he was not caught for. Oh, good. Good. That's that's great. So he gets a two year suspended sentence for stealing this truck. Um, so that obviously means he wasn't actively in jail during this time. Um, so in 1948, less than a year later, he steals another vehicle, um, this time a 1937 Buick, still in St. Joseph, um, and he's caught again. Who's surprised? Um, this time, they're like, uh, well, we tried to be nice to you the first time and give you a suspended sentence, um, but that clearly didn't work out. So this time you're actually serving two years at Missouri State Penn. Oh, okay. So June 8th of 1949, he gets released after serving just over a year. He got released like for good behavior. Okay. So he's only out for a few months and then he ends up going right back because he forged a $10 check at a gas station in Maryville, Missouri. $10? So, yep. Well, to be fair, this is 1949. Oh, okay. So $10 is a little little more, but it's still not a lot, even back then. Um, Um, Also, strangely enough, this is what happens when, you know, all you care about is incarcerating people and not rehabilitating people, but continue. Would be a hundred and twenty-one forty-seven today. Oh. Okay, so that's... so not a, a ridiculous amount, but it, it's a decent amount yeah. of money. It's a lot of money to spend at a gas station. Yeah, what are you getting at a gas station for that much? Yeah, I'm wondering if he if it was like one of those places that like cashes checks too. I don't know if they had those back in the fifties. I I have no idea. Anyways, not really that important. Um. So March 18th of 1951, he actually escapes from prison. So he escapes from prison and then immediately tries to commit a burglary. 
And then he got caught. <laughs> We're doing tries great. is the key word. <laughs> um, he got caught immediately and spent, or well, not spent, but he was sentenced to another two years in prison. So this time he is released July 14th of 1954. Can you guess what he did next? Try to steal something. He immediately steals a 1951 Ford in Oric. And again, gets caught immediately. <laughs> and is sentenced to five years. Oh my god. So while he is in jail, the Ray County Jail in Richmond... Uh, waiting, sentencing for this crime. He tries to escape. And he gets another two years for it. Because they, of course, they catch him. He's not very good at doing things. Um, Dude, what the so, fuck? Yeah, that's why I was like, this whole case is just like, what the actual fuck? And every time I, <laughs> like, I would just keep reading and just keep being like, there cannot be more. Like, there cannot. No one can be this bad at being a criminal. <laughs> Turns out they can. Uh, so, March 18th of 1959, he is again released. Um, and this was his sixth prison sentence that he had served. Let me guess. He tried to steal something. Even better. Well, something is not quite the right word. Someone. Oh, no. Is a better word. Oh, no. So, June 26th of eight, uh, 1959, so same year, just like a couple months later, he attempts to kidnap a 16-year-old newspaper delivery boy named Stephen Pelham um, back in St. Saint Joseph, where he like originally was from. But why? Um, he tries to kidnap him at Butcher Knife Point. I'm sorry. Do you want to run that by me again? So he was threatening him with a knife, but it was like a really big, a big butcher knife. Um, again, I this didn't work, why. though. It didn't work. Well, you'll see why later. It'll make sense why later. Oh, okay, good. This was really his first, like, foray into doing something that, like, involved anyone else he's just he's dipping his toe in the pool of possibilities yeah he's really he's he's saying you know i'm not very good at the carjacking thing <laughs> uh maybe i should try something even harder to do <laughs> uh so steven immediately reports this to police obviously crazy how that works um so hatcher gets arrested um do you want to know what he was doing when he got arrested Trying to steal a car? Driving a stolen car. <laughs> yes, you were very close. <laughs> this feels like a bad, like, this feels like it's a comedy movie about, like, a really bad, like, I feel like Criminal? Ryan Reynolds yep. would play him. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I've never seen someone be so bad at, like, being a criminal like it's so bad uh so he gets sentenced to another five years in the missouri state pen um this time he is sentenced under the habitual criminal act um which is basically like 
you've been caught a bunch of times doing something so they end up kind of like ramping up your I think if I remember right, they add time to your sentence and also you can't like get out early for like good behavior. Oh, is this like three strikes before three strikes was a thing? Exactly. Um, and so he's arrested for the auto theft and for a- attempted abduction. Um, so he tries to break out of the Buchanan County Jail. Um, so he had been sentenced. It was like in between his sentencing and his transport. Um, but he was unsuccessful he did not escape (laughs) um so he goes to prison and i just had to throw this in there because i think it's really funny because of his dad and how much we were making fun of it earlier um but when he gets to prison he starts claiming on record that he is the most notorious criminal since jesse james bruh (sighs) no most notorious for being bad yeah like bad at it like what do you mean what are you notorious of you've never committed a successful crime this is a script for a shitty comedy and you cannot convince me otherwise uh so it it gets a little darker oh um so july 2nd of 1961 um, a fellow inmate that worked with him in the like kitchen, like was part of the kitchen crew. Um, it was a 26 year old man named Jerry Therrington. Um, so Jerry is found on the floor of the prison kitchen loading dock, uh, raped and murdered. Oh, he had been stabbed to death repeatedly. Um, he was like stabbed repeatedly in his back. Wow, this escalated um, very quickly. So they knew who did it. Um, there was only oh, so only the kitchen crew had access to this area, and there was only one person missing from the kitchen crew at the time of the murder. Can you guess who? Is it our boy? <laughs> it's our boy Charles. Oh, God damn it, Charles! Um, so they end up sending him to solitary, um, like for the crime, but. They're like, I mean, this was 1961. There's no security cameras. There's no, you know what I mean? And there was no witnesses. Yeah. Like, there was no way to truly prove that he had done it. Yeah. Um, but they just knew, like, he was the only person who could have. One of those, like, based on the circumstances, there's a 90% chance it was you. However, we can't prove Right. It. <laughs> but, like, they don't really even have, like, fingerprinting at that time. They obviously don't have DNA evidence. Yeah. Like, it's not like they could do a rape kit or something. And, fi- yeah, like, there wasn't really much that they could do. So, while he's in solitary, he actually writes a note to the prison psychologist requesting psychiatric treatment. However, the prison psychologist at the time did not think... That he actually had a mental illness and did not think that he actually cared or wanted to get better. They were like, you're literally just trying to get out of solitary and maybe even prison. Like, you're just trying to look like you're doing good behavior. Like, it was clear he was not remorseful. And up to this point, no one had ever documented him having any mental health issues at all. That comes up later. But he he's... Let me establish, he does not, like, he is not having mental health issues. He is not struggling for mental health issues. This becomes 
a thing later and at least at this point he is he is not experiencing any symptoms okay i mean fine but also like can we not ignore people if they're reaching out to help maybe just maybe i will like i said we'll we'll get into that later and i i actually think nor because when i first read this too i was like when i first was like getting into the case i was like wow that guy sucks like what a horrible psychologist and then once you get farther into it and you find out more you're like no he he probably was just trying to get out of solitary like he was literally just trying to make himself look good gotcha because this man is like extremely narcissistic and manipulative okay great okay (laughs) yeah we'll we'll get into more of that later but i i actually do think that the prison psychologist did the right thing here sounds like somebody we know um so anyways hatcher does get ended up like even though the psychologist refused treatment he does actually get sent back into general population anyways um almost like because he was experiencing no symptoms and he wasn't doing anything he was just a normal guy so they were like okay i guess you can go back um and he ended up even getting his sentence reduced for good behavior and he only ended up serving about three quarters of his time and ended up getting released August 24th of 1963. Can we stop letting this man out of prison, please? That's what I'm fucking <laughs> saying. Because what comes next is where it gets so much worse. Oh, good. So this next little time period, we're talking about 1969 to 1977. Okay. Um, so August 27th of 1969... Charles abducts a 12-year-old boy named William Freeman in Antioch, California. He told the boy to, you know, come with him, that he had, like, something to show him. And he leads him to a wooded creek area and strangles him to death. Oh, shit. August 29th of 1969, two days later... He approaches a six-year-old boy named Gilbert Martinez in San Francisco who was playing with, um, like, a friend of his that was a girl that was also, like, six years old. You know, he's just like, out in his yard playing, being a little six-year-old boy. As, as one and does. the girl testified, not, like, testified in court, but, like, told police and everything Um, That a man came up and offered Gilbert ice cream, and so the little boy followed him. Um, The two of them, Charles and the little boy, were actually discovered by a a man who was just walking his dog. Because he kind of took him into, like, a park area, kind of like a little bit of a a wooded area. And a guy was, like, walking through the park, just, like, walking his dog, minding his own business, and, like, overhears them and sees like Gilbert all beat up he's already been sexually assaulted um so obviously he stops the situation the police are called they end up arresting him and when they arrest him he tells them that his name is Albert Ralph Price what but yet in his pocket he's carrying an ID that says Hobart Prater <sighs> And then later on, obviously, this is connected by the FBI to, we know this was Charles. 
he he's obviously going under an alias alias at this point. But obviously it's it's 1969. The police don't know he's going straight. Exactly. And like the police obviously don't know that this is an alias and stuff. So, you know, they think he's Albert Price. Um, so and also, by the way, obviously the little boy survives this. Okay, good. Worse for wear, but he survived just fine. Um, so he's charged as Albert Price, like as the the fake name. He is charged with assault with attempt to commit sodomy and kidnapping. He was sentenced to undergo competency evaluations to see if he was fit to stand trial. Um, and then during these I- initial like evaluations, he kind of would just sit there and he refused to like answer any of their questions. He refused to participate. Um, so they ended up ordering like a complete psychological evaluation, like a much wider scale one. Mm-hmm. So during this, he faked and lied about hearing voices. Um, he lied about having delusions and hallucinations. And he even tried to fake suicide attempts. I'm sorry, what? He would basically like make a fake noose and like pretend to try to hang himself. Stop. That's why I was like, yeah, don't believe that man. That man did not need psychological help. Like, and they caught him in this. Like, they knew he was faking because he would, like, couldn't keep his stories straight. Like, clearly, you know what I mean? Like, clearly compared to people who are actually, like, suffering from hallucinations and delusions. Like, it was really easy to tell that he was just faking it. That's so fucking ridiculous. Basically, he was just doing anything he could to stay out of prison. Yeah. So, December of 1970, he had been sent back and forth between, like, the court and the psych ward, like, a bunch of times at this point, obviously. Um, And do you want to know what they actually, what they diagnosed him with? Um, Narcissistic personality disorder? (laughs) They diagnosed him with a passive-aggressive personality. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i know some people that could be diagnosed with that let me fucking tell you i feel like i didn't even know that was a diagnosis not a dcm diagnosis but like i mean this is 1970 to be fair <laughs> I but um so they wait. diagnosed him with a passive aggressive personality and they also um diagnosed him with pedophilia and a paraphilia which is uh just a like an abnormal sexual disorder. Oh, good. Um, so, and also uh, pretty much all of the staff at the hospital testified that they thought he was either lying or exaggerating pretty much every single one of his symptoms. Like even the nurses and everybody were like, yeah, that dude's just faking. Like it, it, he's not suffering from anything. <laughs> oh, Jesus fucking Christ. So this is where it gets annoying. Cause it's like I said, It's pretty well fucking established that he's faking it. He's fine. He's just faking it. So January of 1971, he's examined by a different two psychiatrists. One of them diagnoses him as insane and recommended he get intensive care at a hospital. And the other 
uh, didn't declare him insane, but they did declare him incompetent to stand trial and also recommended he be sent to a hospital. Okay. So he just gets better at faking it. Yeah, apparently. that's fucking ridiculous. So May 24th of 1971, he is sent to trial and he pleads not guilty by reason of insanity. And he's sent again to another hospital for another evaluation. And this time they do determine that he is unfit to stand trial. So a couple of days later, on June 2nd, he escapes from the hospital. We love it here. And he is caught a week later in Calusa, California for auto theft. Because this man can just not stop stealing cars for some reason. He's really bad at it. You think he would learn at this point that like cars are not his thing. Right, like my dude. Stop trying to steal cars. Stop. So at this point, when he gets caught this time, um, he was using the name Richard Lee Grady. So he's under yet another name. So he's sent to the California State Hospital for another evaluation. Um, so April of 1972, um, he, so they evaluated him, decided to keep him in the hospital. Um, so April of 1972, the hospital staff marked his treatment as unsuccessful and they marked him as a danger to other patients. Yeah. Crazy how that fucking works. (laughs) Right. Like who could have seen that coming? Um, so at this point, he has travel- er, traveled. He has transferred to the Prison State Hospital in Vacaville, California, and then um, he's there from April to about August. And then in August of 1972, he's transferred to San Quentin to stand trial. Hmm. Three years after the crime, he finally is standing trial. Oh Jesus fucking Christ! San Quentin did two more mental health exams jesus fucking christ um and both of them determined him to not only be fit to stand trial but they also deemed him sane at the time of the crime so he could not use the insanity defense good thank fucking god finally um and so december of 1972 he's convicted for the abduction and the molestation um january of 1972 Um, He ends up being interned at the California State Hospital again, um, this time as a mentally disordered sexual offender. Sorry, just scrolling. Okay. Um, So March 28th of 1973, security guards discover him hiding in a cooler um, near the hospital's main courtyard, um, clearly in an escape attempt. He also had, like, two sheets, like, stuffed down inside of his pants, which I think he was going to, like, make a rope out of. (laughs) Um, So, it was very obvious he was trying to escape. (laughs) Um, So, he's, once again, like, they're going to sentence him for trying to escape. And when they do that, um, the doctors that time around determine that he's, like, a threat to society. Um, so in April of 1973 he is sentenced are you ready for this oh my god 
He is sentenced one year to life. Wait, 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 wait. That is a very big range. I have so, so many questions. Essentially, because I also had a lot of questions. <laughs> Um, but looking into it, essentially the vibe that I get from it is it's less of a prison. I mean, it is a prison sentence, um, but it's essentially less of a prison sentence and more of a we are going to keep you here for as long as we feel necessary until we feel like you have been rehabilitated um so whether that takes one year whether that takes three years whether that takes 10 15 20 40 like we're gonna keep you here however long we feel is necessary okay i get the concept there however this man has proven that he cannot be rehabilitated so literally (laughs) um so he's moved to a medium security facility in vacaville again okay um so that may like a month later um he's diagnosed as a manipulative institutionalized sociopath wow we know some of those right like we finally (laughs) we finally hit on a diagnosis i agree with (laughs) that's why i was like believe me he he was faking when he asked for that letter earlier (laughs) like yeah this man's a mess clearly Um, so the month after that, in June, um, he actually attempts suicide this time oh. um, by slashing his wrists um, because he was recommended for transfer to a maximum security facility. So basically, he was going to leave from being in a like a hospital to like an actual like max security prison. Let me guess. He fucked that up and went across the street and not down it. You would not be wrong. <laughs> Um, so at this point he's diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia which i do not agree with i don't agree with that either but we'll continue i don't agree with it um but he's allowed to stay at vacaville instead Mm. so in august two months oh no august of 1975 so two months and two years later um he gets marked for good behavior no and he is and that was like at his parole hearing so Um, June of 1976, the Cali Parole Board found that he had improved dramatically, and he was set for parole um, December 25th of 1978. So they're saying, yes, you've clearly had good behavior. Yes, we do think that you've gotten better and we're going to let you out, but you still have to wait two years. So, um, however... (laughs) Just around this time period, um, there is a bill passed in California, and this bill allowed inmates credit towards their sentences for time that they had spent in jail and mental hospitals. So they ended up adding up some of the time, and he got a parole date of January 1977. No. Um, however, he wasn't officially released until May 20th of 1977, uh, where he was released to a halfway house in San Francisco. No. So talk about the fucking system failing. You want to fucking talk about the system failing? Here we are. I feel like that's been our theme today. They really have been. It, it feels very on par. <laughs> Um, so this next little time chunk, 
we're talking about 1978 to 1982. So September 4th of 1978, he is arrested under the name Richard Clark in Omaha, Nebraska. He is arrested for sexually assaulting a 16-year-old boy. And he was sent to the Douglas County Mental Hospital, where he was released in January of 1979. Okay. So you're telling me, on the one hand, we can't get this goddamn man who did literally nothing out of jail. But on the other hand, we can't keep this goddamn man doing literally everything in jail. Yeah, I thought this was, like, the perfect parallel to your episode. No, I hate it. I was like, we can get mad in the completely opposite direction. Oh, my God. Oh, it gets better. I hate you. It gets better. So, May 3rd of 1979, Mm -hmm. he is arrested for assault and attempted murder when he tries to stab to death a seven-year-old boy named Thomas Morton. Why? So this time, he is sent to the Norfolk Regional Center, which is also a mental health facility. And the charges end up being dropped. Are you, are you fucking kidding me? Nope. Why? I don't know. I actually could not find why the charges got dropped. I don't know if maybe the parents like thought it was too traumatizing for the kid or something. Um, but yeah, they ended up dropping the charges. Um, so May of 1980, he's released from there. But there's always a but in this fucking case. God I, damn okay, it. Okay, hold on. I've said it once and I will continue to say it. If somebody commits a crime against you, do not drop the charges because that's how you get fucking assholes with God complexes that think think they can do anything without consequences. I.e. Richard Ramirez. Ah, okay. Continue. So May of 1980, he is released from there and then he is sent back two months later for another assault if this does and not then, end with this man getting his skull bashed in by another inmate I'm gonna be pissed it doesn't but I think you'll still be sort of happy with the ending will I no probably not wow alright so he ends up escaping from Norfolk oh. in September. My fucking god. <laughs> October 9th of 1980, he is arrested as Richard Clark in Lincoln, Nebraska, this time for attempted assault and sodomy of a 17-year-old boy. Can we just chain this man to a bed, please? So he's sent to another mental health facility and he's released after 21 days i i i might need to go grab a beer for this this is fucking absurd (laughs) 
We're almost done. Are we? <laughs> we actually are getting towards the end of it. I um oh so January 13th of 1981, he's arrested again as Richard Clark in Des Moines, Iowa after he gets into a knife fight. This time with an adult, thank oh, God. Okay, good. For once. <laughs> um, so he is bounced around from one mental health facility to another, and then he ends up getting released to the Davenport Salvation Army shelter in April of 1981. Oh, I'm sure that ended well. Because the Salvation Army historically does wonderful things for people. So real quick... Um, we are going to derail from my man Charles here for a second. Oh, no. Um, and we're going to talk about someone else really fast. Okay. But I, I promise it's relevant. <laughs> okay. So May 26th of 1978, a four-year-old boy named Eric Christian. Oh, my God. It's, it's a hard last name to say. It's Christian. Like Christ. And then G-E-N afterwards. Type it in the chat. Christian. It's it's weird. Hold on. I was like, let's see your take on how to say this. I think it said like Christian, like the religion, but like with a little bit more of a J in the middle. What the fuck? Like Christian. But anyways. I feel like I would say that. Four-year-old like Eric. Christian? Christian. Yeah, I don't. Something like that. Anyway, Google had no answers. Yeah, I, let me tell I you, have no answers. Google was like, I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So four year old Eric goes missing Aww. from downtown St. Joseph, um, which is the original town that he moved to with his mom yeah, and his third husband. I, I see how way back in the day. I see how we've come full circle. So his body ends up being found along the Missouri River. Um, He had been sexually abused and he had died of suffocation. So the police, like, they they did a lot. Um, They ended up questioning more than 100 suspects. Um, And one of the suspects uh, that they questioned was a man named Melvin Reynolds. Um, so he was 25 years old at the time and he was mentally disabled. And so he had lived like a hard life himself. Like he had, had been a victim of child, like child sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, and then he grew up to be gay as an adolescent, uh, which is fine. Um, but obviously in 1978 it was a lot less fine yeah uh they consider that almost like a mental illness uh which is also why i think that um charles was bounced around to so many mental health facilities because he like he clearly was gay yeah like he was never with a woman everyone every crime he ever got caught with was always with men or boys um which is actually, I feel like honestly, that's probably why they diagnosed him with paraphilia. Like it was probably the homosexuality thing. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so Reynolds was he clearly was stressed out by the whole thing. Um, because like I said, he was pretty severely mentally disabled. Mm-hmm. So he didn't really understand what was going on. However, 
Despite not really understanding what was going on, he freely cooperated through quite a few interrogations. And like this went on for months. And he also did two polygraph tests. And he also did an interrogation under hypnosis, which is wild. So in December of 1978, he is questioned yet again under the influence of amobarbital oh so at the time they were treating that as they called it a truth serum it essentially they it was like almost kind of like a polygraph where they would like hype them up probably more like the interrogation under hypnosis where they would like pump him up with a bunch of drugs and then try to like question him and try to make him tell the truth During this one, under the influence of heavy drugs, as someone mentally disabled already, keep repeating that, uh, he made some offhand remark that made the police kind of suspicious. So two months later, in February of 1979, they bring him in again, fully cooperative, for another investigation, another interrogation, in this one, this interrogation lasted 14 hours. Jesus Christ. And in this investigation, they were heavily, heavily threatening him, heavily putting pressure on him. And this is like, this is all in the transcript, too. Like, he admits at the very end of this fucking 14 hours, Rel- Reynolds gives in and he says, I'll say I did it if you want me to. I'll say so if you want me to. No. So in the weeks that followed, he made several confessions, each one with more and more details that were given to him directly by police. They'd essentially be like, okay, so you you then went to this boy and then you did this to him, right? And then you went this and you did this with his body, right? Like, it was that type of deal. I fucking hate everything about that. So the jury convicted him of second degree murder and he was sentenced to life imprisonment. Oh, uh... So we're going to we'll, we'll come back to that in just a second. There's a reason that that's relevant. So, back to Charles. So, July 29th of 1982, an 11-year-old girl named Michelle Steele was reported missing from St. Joseph. On July 30th, she was found on the bank of the Mississippi... I almost said Mississippi. Missouri. Missouri (laughs) River. Um, Nude, sexually assaulted... Um, she had been beaten and strangled to death. Um, and it was really sad because, well, it was really sad in general, obviously. <laughs> it's sad if anything happened and she's 11, so it makes it even worse. But her uncle was the one who found her. Oh, God. Hatcher was arrested the next, literally the next day. Um, he tried to check in at the St. Joseph State Hospital and they like scooped him up right away. While he was awaiting trial, he confessed to 15 other murders 
dating all the way back to 1969. Holy shit. That's that's where we get our first victim, 12-year-old <laughs> William Freeman, that had disappeared August of 1969. Yeah. So he also drew them a map that led them to the remains of 28-year-old James Churchill, who he had buried on the grounds of the Rock Island Army Arsenal near Davenport, Iowa. Mm-hmm. And he also confessed to the murder of Eric. He was convicted of that murder in October of 1983 and got a life imprisonment with no parole for at least 50 years. And before we finish that, I'm going to backtrack a little bit and say that when Reynolds, like when Charles confessed and was tried and all this stuff reynolds was released good so he did have to serve four years but he is released he was free like he did get out and get his name cleared for this good um so he was facing another missouri conviction for the murder of michelle Steele, and in that case charles requested a death sentence However, the jury said, fuck no, we're not giving you a single thing that you want. And they gave him another life term on December 3rd of 1984. Good. And this is the part you're going to hate. Oh, man. December 7th of 1984, Hatcher hangs himself in his cell at the Missouri State Pen. You fucking piece of shit. That's that's all I got, folks. (laughs) I have never seen someone so bad at being a criminal. Yeah, seriously. Like, and why couldn't they just keep this man in prison? Like, so many people could have been fine if they had just kept him in prison. Or if he had just been electrocuted when he was six. Well, and this is the perfect reason, too, of, like, why it is important for these, like, habitual criminal type of things. Because it's, like, if they're committing these crimes that are getting them caught, they're probably also committing other crimes that aren't getting them caught. Yeah. And while he was really, 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 really bad at stealing cars for some reason, he's apparently very good at getting away with murder. Yeah. Because he almost got caught on a couple of them, but he committed 15 murders that went completely under the radar, pretty much. Well, 14, I guess. Yeah. The 15th one was the one that got him caught, pretty much. Yeah. Jesus. And I'm just... Sir! Uh, so, yeah, that one's been living in my brain, and I hate literally all of it. Yeah, this is... I hate everything that super happened Super fucking there. annoying. This is the exact opposite of what we just talked about. Like, literally the exact opposite of last episode, which is why I thought you would appreciate uh, it so much. No, I hate it. <laughs> um, he did confess to FBI agent Joe Holstag. Um, this is when he gave them the map that directed them to James Churchill. Um, he had told them that there were 16 bodies, um, 13 adults, and all of them were men. 
And this was like just a little bit before he confessed to the Eric crime. Yeah, that's. Um, but I don't think besides James, Eric, and Michelle, I don't think they ever found any of the other bodies. No. No, they did not. Um, apparently, for the murder of Michelle Steele, um, on top of the fact that he just confessed to it, um, he'd also been identified by witnesses as a person who had been seen by the river. Um, he had also been picked out of photo lineups by two attempted abductees, like other people he had tried to abduct but failed. Um, they also found his backpack, nylon cords, um, his shoes matched the imprints near the body, and his teeth matched bite marks on her body. Oh, my fucking God. And then I also saw more detail that was interesting. Where did it go? Oh, so the day that he committed suicide, um, he found they were, you know, walking around doing their morning routines, you know, checking on all the inmates. Um, and they found him hanging by a piece of electrical wire that had been tied to the heavy metal ventilation mm-hmm. grate. That's- and but but his hands were tied behind his back with shoelaces which kind of implies that he did not kill himself yeah kind of hard to hang yourself when your hands are tied and also it's pretty much impossible to tie your own hands behind your back that's interesting uh, but am I mad that he's dead? Either way, whether it was him or not, no. Hmm. N- nope. Looking here, it looks like they have five confirmed, like definitely confirmed, but he confessed to 16. Okay. Um, but the ages of the people who were murdered were 4, 16, 7, 11, 10, 13 and then 26 and 26 was like the inmate that he carried like killed in prison jesus christ and he killed all of them usually either with a knife or his bare hands that's absurd um the only one who really like seemed to be overkill though or like that he really like used the knife on was the the inmate jerry because he had been stabbed like a dozen times but yeah that's uh that's charles i hate it thanks i hate him thanks oh yeah that too (laughs) um but yeah that's that's all folks that's what i got so this time it's stay spooky but not so spooky that you can't keep prisoners in jail (sighs) Yeah, really, what we're, we're finding is there's a lot of problems with the prison industrial complex uh, <laughs> on both ends of it. Yeah, for real, though. This gave me strong vibes of... Um, why the fuck am I blanking on his name? Mm. Uh, remember the guy who escaped from prison like a dozen times and like did some wild shit? Like, I remember at one point he ended up stealing like Teddy Roosevelt's gun. Oh, yeah. And was um, like, killing people with it. Yeah, like that real wild guy. That's that's what this case reminds me of. The name just went through my brain and left. 
yeah I, I don't know why i can't remember his name but someone probably squirrel is like screaming it right now <laughs> yeah um, for sure to the one person but yeah sorry that we're disappointing you uh say spooky but um not so spooky that you still cannot learn how to steal a car after decades of trying to steal cars. okay but like for real like i can't get over that like how did you get caught so many times for stealing cars when you were literally murdering people and not getting caught for it yeah <sighs> how can you execute all these murders and not be able to steal a car the incompetence is astounding I honestly truly think him not getting caught on these murders was just pure luck. Just absolutely pure luck. I don't think I am giving him zero credit. None of that was him. Oh, yeah, not in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, he purely got lucky. Like, that's it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm ready to go touch more grass. Um <laughs> And never think about uh, anyone who's ever committed a murder again. <laughs> until that's, until next time. Until at. next week. <laughs> um, yep. So uh, check out our Beacons page. That links to all of the things. Whether it be Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, whatever floats your boat. That is where you can find it. Um, on top of that, like we said last week, we did release a new Patreon episode going over the Toy Box Killer tapes, which is long and painful and probably the worst thing you'll ever hear. I don't know how. So much if you want to be traumatized, <laughs> if you want to be traumatized, um, there you go, there you go. We're here for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's okay. At least before this, it was the Junko case. So it, uh, at least we're, we're I can finally <laughs> endpoint something else. We're officially even. We're officially even. I will give you that. We are officially even. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, keep it spooky. 